Here we go, here we go. Welcome to Police Pod Talk. Whoop, whoop, it's the police. Don't look in your rearview mirror. This podcast covers the latest police news along with hitting the hot topics you've been talking about all week. I'm your host, Cleveland. Thank you for joining us. Hey folks, welcome back to Police Pod Talk. Here we go once again on another beautiful, uh, coming off of another beautiful weekend that is. I've got uh, my brother Jeff back on the line. And Jeff, you can say hey to the listeners out there. Good morning. Top of the morning to everyone out there. (laughs) All right. All right. Coming in good and clear. Okay. Hey, we're going to pick up uh, our conversation we left off the other day. I mean, I had a lot of thoughts and I took some notes uh, afterwards and, uh, Kind of just trying to get a, a, a better feel on a couple of things you said. One, you were talking about history class. Uh, the history class that you took all through middle school and high school, you said that, you know, they really didn't teach history the way they should have. And if they had, we wouldn't have some of the issues we have today. Can, can you elaborate just a little bit more on that? Yeah, so I look back at, I mean, you know, you have uh, elementary, middle school, high school, college and if you think about uh, history, there's multiple areas in there in which we didn't talk about what really happened in some of those areas. So let's just take black people, for example. You talk about history, you get to slavery, you have a conversation about slavery for like a day and a half, and then it goes away. It's like everything was fine. And then you move up into the 60s, and that's kind of where we ended history because I mean, I'm not giving away my age. We were in we were in school pretty much around that time. So you get to Martin Luther King Jr., and there's nothing else covered in between there. And it's not actually a positive conversation. We don't talk about the Freedom Fighters. We don't talk about Medgar Evers. We don't talk about Malcolm X. We don't talk about all of those folks that were working hand in hand. I mean, if you go back and look at some of the photos from Birmingham, from Jackson, Mississippi, you see white and black people in those in those photos. You see uh, pastors, priests, everyone is marching for civil rights at that time, right? That's just a small segment, but with a major impact, right? Mm-hmm. But before all of that, you had black people fighting in World War II. You had Tuskegee Airmen. I mean, you had all kind of inventors and, and thought uh, leaders and people that moved the country forward. And you go back a little further than that, you know, what, who really built on the backs of the, of the slaves, who really built the country? And then also to you go back a little further when slavery was just starting and people didn't agree with it, you had people that were abolitionists saying, we don't want this. And they were fighting against slavery as well. So a lot of those things are not taught. And the, the purpose of my point uh, earlier in the conversation is this. What if we were shown as black people a little bit differently in history books over the years? What if Asian people, Latinos, everyone was shown a little differently with the positive, not a positive spin, but the actual events that happened versus how we were taught uh, history? Mm -hmm. We might have a different thought process as it pertains to how people view you and how I view them, right? So that's pretty much my point. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that you learned enough about black history when you were going through school? No, zero. We, I just explained to you the two yeah, things that I learned. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so with that, with me asking that question, I'm going to lead into where did you finally pick up 
a lot of you black history guys. I'm, I'm going to throw something out. I just now learned about this whole Black Wall Street at uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just learned that just, what, last year. If it wasn't for my boss at work kind of bringing it up, I'm like, what? I, I never knew anything. Then all of a sudden it came up on the news, and I'm like, holy cow. I didn't realize this had happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had to, you got to look it up. You got to uh, figure out what happened. But, I mean, I feel like I was left out, and maybe in my mind, then I have this feeling of maybe I'm not learning enough about my own history here, where I came from and all those things. I mean, do you feel that? or I guess back to my original question, where did you learn? Where did you pick it up at? A couple of places. So if if you can remember back, Cleveland, I used to take trips with Pop down to Mississippi. Mm -hmm. We were in the store one day, and and it was this little country store, and Pop and I go in, and the guy says, hey, boy, what you need? Now, he was talking to Pop. He was 40-some years old at the time. Mm Mm-hmm or 50 even, and he never flinched. Pop never flinched. He's like, whatever, and he just went ahead and said, hey, we're looking for it. I think I needed a T-shirt or something. I don't know. I got grape juice on mine. Who the hell knows? But, I mean, that that's it. That right there is, I'm like, well, that didn't sound right. Well, you'd be surprised that sitting down with our father, he had a ton of stories, Cleveland, of things, and then I would go, I would go look them up because you know he would tell us stuff sometimes, and I would say, well, I'm not buying what you're selling, Bob. So I would go look it up. So I learned a lot about that coming up with him. And then when I got to college, I read Malcolm X uh, by uh, Alex Haley. Uh, remember the, the TV show Roots? Oh yeah, with the series came out. Yeah. Um, then I really started to dig after I really had a passion because I'm a baseball guy, right? For the Negro Leagues. Mm-hmm. And and all of that. I mean, we you know we talk about Jackie Robinson, but there's a whole list of guys before him that he stood on their shoulders to get into the major leagues, right? Satchel Paige, Cool Papa Bell, all those guys. So when I started doing that, I started looking at all those things around them. That is probably around the time of college when I read uh, uh, the Malcolm X biography by Alex Haley and started doing more and more digging. And then Colin Powell's stepped on the scene, right? I mean, right. he was the general. Uh, and then I started digging back further. Then I started finding things like, uh, we all know who um, uh, George Washington Carver was. I mean, he made mm-hmm. the peanut grade, right? That mm-hmm. kind of thing. But there were so many other people around him that you started to see more and more stuff because I knew our, the history classes weren't teaching us enough. We talk about black history, but it should just be the, the history of the United States. And we, we, we're not even at that point. So let's fast forward to today. My wife spends a ton of time talking to the kids about black saints, uh, black people doing this. Hey, we go to the Charles H. Wright Museum in Detroit. We went to the, uh, before they built the one in, uh, in uh, Washington, D.C., they had a whole wing just for African-American history, right? Okay. All of these things. And I, and I talked to my kids, and, I, and my youngest daughter is uh, reading Malcolm X right now. I said, you guys have to read these things. Understanding that it's a book written by somebody else about an individual, but you have to know that, I mean, we talk about the Black Panthers. I talked about the Black Panthers with them, and I said, guys, there's plenty of documentaries out there, but you guys got to know something. The Black Panthers weren't this militant group shooting up people and hating cops and running white people down. They had breakfast programs, educational programs. They did a lot for that Oakland community, right? I mean, there's so much stuff that's happened that the only thing we see is what's being dictated to us by individuals that wrote the book and curriculums that we work off today, and that's white people. 
you got to dig a little deeper. And you and I did a a big civil rights tour with our sons, right? Right, right, right. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that we need to do. And it's not just black history. Everybody needs to see this country was built on multiple different ethnic backgrounds, Irish and Asian, helping build the railroads, those type of things, right? Okay. So that's I wanted to hit on that just a little bit more. Like you said, it's not so, so much a black-white issue as much as educating yourself on what is going on, who has helped. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, even when you hear the words, the, you know, uh, the Underground Railroad, mm-hmm. you know, your thoughts are, and I was laughing with my wife the other day, I said, as a kid, I always thought, how are you going to get a train under the ground? <laughs> you know? yeah. I never yeah. knew exactly, it never got into that. And not realizing that the Underground Railroad was only successful because there were a lot of white people that were actually helping these slaves move along through these towns. And they helped, yep. them, and they helped them dress the proper way. They hid them out when they needed to hide them. They moved them along, uh, getting them to where they needed to go. They, they just didn't do it themselves. But that's not no. talked about. Mm-mm. Yeah, it's, no. it's a whole lot. And I think, like you said, fast forwarding today, if you knew some of these things, you wouldn't be so quick to uh, judge or point a finger or get angry about anything. Because no 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 person is successful without help from others. There's no one person that's done it on their own. No self-made man. That's that's not even true. No. So let me let me ask you this. Tell me who you read. What books do you read? I mean, who is who are the people? Where are you getting some of your stuff from? That's a, I, I'm all over the place in books, right? <laughs> okay. So <Yeah. laughs> if you I'm I'm a you turn me on to Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, I'm a, I'm a Malcolm Gladwell guy when it comes to uh, just human nature, mm-hmm. things like that. For uh, some safety and security, um, geez, what's the gentleman's name? I read Gift of Fear. Gavin De Becker. Gavin De Becker, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, some some of his stuff, and we're talking nonfiction right now. Um, I read autobiographies. I, I read Colin Powell's uh, autobiography. Obviously, I mentioned Malcolm X's, and I had never written any uh, read anything of uh, Alex Haley has written except Malcolm X. So I read, I read things like that. I, I try my best to read about historical things. So a lot of I spent the last maybe four or five years reading about the economic collapse in two, 2007, 2008, when the housing market went down, mm-hmm. to see exactly behind the scenes of what happened with that. So I spent, I spent a little time reading about that. And that kind of correlates with the federal government and assistance, right? Right. What a lot. What a lot of people don't know is, at that time, and uh, and I'm, I know I'm kind of going off topic, but I think this is important. Cleveland is in 2007, 2008. The federal government did not want to inject all those banks with cash. They wanted private um, solutions to it. So in, in 1998, 99, when the uh, Russian economy had cla- uh, collapsed, they drove, They brought all the CEOs of the banks in and said, "You guys need to all throw in two hundred fifty million dollars so we can we can save long term capital management company who had a ton of money in Russian investments." Right? They were looking for private uh, ways to fix this. I mean, when Lehman Brothers went under, they were looking for a private uh, solution. So when you made the statement of no one person does what you know is, is self made, well, we shouldn't look to our federal government to say you guys need to fix this. I believe that the private sector has a much better way of quickly getting things done. Because if you look at COVID, if we waited for the federal government to come up with a uh, a vaccine, come on, 
we'd be waiting for years, and, and I'm talking about decades. We want our private sector to do those things. So if you look at a school, most schools get their funding from the federal government, right? Public mm-hmm. school. Well, I believe these public schools should push back and say, hey, we'll take the, we'll take the, uh, the funding, but we need a more diverse background as it pertains to teaching. I'm not just talking about black and white. I'm talking about ways in which people learn, how they learn. Uh, should they be going in and out of the school? Practical uh, uh, situations for, for people to say, now I know how to balance my checkbook. Now I know how to save money. Mm-hmm. Now I clearly understand what an interest rate is, right? Right. Because if I go to a private school, I'm probably learning some of those things. I'm learning real economics. Well, in a public school, I may not be getting all of that. I'm not saying that's true across the board. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is it, the practical sense of what we're trying to accomplish needs to fit what the society is, what, what you're going to run into in society and, and quote, unquote, the real world. Mm-hmm. So point of the matter is this. If I wait for the federal government or my public uh, educational uh, from K through 8, even through college, to educate my children as it pertains to historical events that shape this country, then they'll never under they'll never see it. They'll never have that opportunity to see it. So I'm fortunate enough and blessed enough to be able to take my family to Washington D.C. to walk into the uh, uh, African American Museum there or the Holocaust Museum. Right? What What if you don't have that option? Why does it have to be in one spot? It feels like why can't it be everywhere? Why can't Why does it have to be the first black woman? This oh that's not the first black guy. This Our mark is not the first. We were here in the building of this country. We shouldn't be looked at. It shouldn't be looked at that way. We've been breaking barriers for years. Nobody wants to say anything about it. No one wants to teach the history of it. And that's one of my issues is let's stop looking at this as a black and white issue from a historical standpoint. Tell us the real historical, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It doesn't matter. It's still our history, right? It's just like a family. Your Your family got problems? Hey, you're shaped out of some of the things that comes out of that family, the good and the bad and the ugly, but it's still your history. You can't go back and change it. You don't have a flux capacitor, or nor do you have a DeLorean to do it. So um, I don't know if that answers your question, but I mean, I think it's an important part of moving forward. We don't need to wallow in the history. We just need the history to be correct. Mm-hmm. So everybody understands that we were all in this together. Right. And that we're right. white people, Asian uh, Irish, everybody. Mm-hmm. Right. Good point. Now that that answers a whole lot because now with as much education that you have, as much studying that you do, as much research that you do, when you see the things unfold with uh, uh, the protesting, uh, Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, the clashing with police and protesters, uh, and the things that are going on right now, where do you feel sometimes you fit in that? That's a loaded question. <laughs> now, I'm asking that because I want to hear how you feel. I know how I feel. I've never really said too much, but where do you feel you fit in all that when you see that? See, it's really, I'm, I'm going to try to explain this because it's hard to explain. Mm-hmm. To me, it's hard to explain. When you look at Black Lives Matter, well, let me take a step back. My children are of age to where they clearly understand what's going on, right? Right. And I was talking to my son about this Saturday, and my son is 19, and he's like, they saw some sticker on something that said, you know, freedom is blah, 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 and they, they said, see, that's some Trump stuff. I'm like, wait, okay, explain to me what that means, right? They're angry, Cleveland. They are so mad. And 
So I told him this story, and you gotta let me walk. Let me gotta let me talk through this because I I'm trying to answer your question. So they're so mad, they're angry at the, whatever it is, whoever it is, police, whatever. I said you can't paint all the police as as racist, and you can't paint all the black guys out there as criminals because we were at one time painted as criminals. Nobody wanted to deal with us, right? Right. So that's not fair. So there he's so mad. And I said, let me explain. Let me tell you this story. I'm standing on second base when I'm 16 years old in the summer league. You know, I played all that baseball. I played a ton of baseball. I'm standing on second base. We're playing in some small town, almost on the Ohio board. I think it was Harlan, Indiana or whatever. I stole second. The shortstop's dropping in bombs on me. He's like in this and just, just, you know, under his breath so I could hear it. So I call timeout, and I turn and look at him, and I'm like, well, shoot, if I fight him, i got to fight the whole team, probably even some guys on my own team because I'm the only black guy out there, right? <laughs> so I got back on second base, and I stole sec- I stole third base. Now, I don't know if I stole third base to help put my team in a better position or I stole third base to get away from him. My point in saying all of that is what I said to my son is this. <clears throat> you can be angry, which you should be. What happened to George Floyd, how you guys feel – that propels a nation forward. You take that anger, and now you turn it into a positive. My positive was, I'm going to continue stealing these bases against your team, and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I did. I said, you got to take that anger, and you got to propel yourself forward. you got to learn, educate. Then you become not a productive member of society, but a leader within society. I ain't talking about being president of the United States or on your city council. I'm not talking about that. You, your example is going to pull people towards you. It's going to, you're going to be a magnet for people saying, I want some of that positivity. I want what that guy has, has. and they will want to be around you. And your impact to those individuals that you would have never, ever impacted comes from your actions as a man. Because now you've taken that negative, that anger you had and said, how am I going to impact one life? And then two. And then multiples, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can be mad. You can throw rocks at the man. You can, you, can, you can cuss the man out. You can protest. But at some point, I said to my son, you, my friend, have to step up and be a leader. Now, how are you going to lead by example? Black lives do matter. They do. But black lives matter, but there's individuals inside of all of this. And what individual is going to take a step forward and say, now, I'm going to, I'm going to win in the classroom. I'm going to win as a family man. I'm going to win on my job. I'm going to win as a leader. I'm going to win in my church. I'm going to be the person that pe- I'm going to be that light that shines through because when they see me, the first thing they're going to see is black. But the next thing they're going to see is that positive energy, that impactful young man that is standing there saying, hey, let's all rise up. Let's move forward mm-hmm. because I do not want to feel this for my kids. Right. That's what it is. Right. So. You asked me the question of how I feel about this. My entire job in my life right now is to stand there and allow my children to stand on my shoulders and see so much more, to offer them up the opportunities to be great. And I'm not talking about, you know, you know what I'm saying, to be great in who they are and what they do, to have an impactful life to those around them. So when people walk up to them, they feel that energy, they see that positivity, and when they have a conversation with them, they know, hey, this person cares about me. So when that person walks away from them, they will take something with them that's positive, and they may drive something else in someone else. Mm-hmm. That's being great. So 
I haven't given up on life, but I, I want my children to not have to stand on second base and have end bombs dropped on them. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. It makes good sense. That was well said. That was good. I mean, I mean, does this also keep you from getting so angry with what you're seeing? Does it keep you from just, I don't want to say joining the protest, but does it, does it keep you from having to be wrapped up in it emotionally? Yes and no. Yes, it does, Cleveland, because I know I, I know I had it worse. I did not have it worse than George, George Floyd. Don't make no mistake. But for my children, I know I had it worse, getting pulled over, followed around in Hartzler Sports Center, you know, the sports store, whatever. Mm-hmm. All of those things. I mean, I had it worse. I mean, less than four or five years ago, I, I'll go walk into a, a, one of my partners and uh, I never met just over, over the phone. I walk into his building and I say, hey, I'm here to see uh, Joe Blow, right? I'm not going to give you his name. Mm-hmm. He said, who are you? I said, I'm Jeffrey Inge. He said, you're Jeffrey Inge? I'm like, you thought I'd be taller, didn't you? I actually <laughs> said that to him. And I, I feel bad about it. But I could, you know how you know I have a temper, right? Yeah. I could have been, it could have been worse. But I did say that to him. He kind of turned red a little bit. I'm like, okay, now let's move on. Don't don't assume because I can speak the king's English yeah. <laughs> that I'm somebody I'm not. Right, right. So does this does this keep me from from not being wrapped up in a protest, but making sense of it? Right. I want my children to understand this. I want my wife when I, she and I are debating these things back and forth mm-hmm. for her. And I to clearly have a plan for our children because yes, you should. I believe I'm always down for a good protest. I mean, I'm. I'm hey, look, protests been going on forever. I mean, the 70s, the, the late 60s, and the, during Vietnam and everything else, everybody was protesting. I mean, you go to San Francisco, just stand on the corner on a box, and you would you could start a protest, right? Mm-hmm. But you have to make sense of it. Now, what are you going to do? Oh, I you I have your ear now, right? I have your attention. Now what are we going to do? Yeah. Yeah, I think that, that that's the part that scares me the most right now. I'm waiting for what are we going to do? Some of the things that I've seen, I was talking to a, a retired officer the other day about this whole defunding police departments, thinking if that's part of it, if that's part of the conversation that they're getting out of all of this. And like he said, it, it's a very scary thing if you start to want to defund police department and lose officers. Yeah, that's a very scary thing, but I'm not going to be on that because he and I talked about that. And you did. You did answer my question, and you answered it really well. Do you talk to your kids about voting? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And when when I say talk to them about voting, not telling them who to vote for, but why they're doing it and what they should be looking for in a candidate. Yes. Two of mine are old enough to vote. And and I said, guys. As, As a matter of fact, one of them just had a birthday, right? Yeah, turn twenty one. Turn twenty one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go on. <laughs> Oldest is twenty one now. Did, you know, I, <laughs> I, I tell you, I've been blessed because our mother basically said she never lived to see me even have children, let alone get married. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, but uh, well, you know, hey, we use that as rocket fuel, right? That's right. Um, voting. I talk. We talk to them about voting, and I don't talk to them about hey, you need to vote for this person or that person. I take them back in time. I'm like, let's talk about your grandfather. He was born in 1927. Uh, Our dad was born in 1927, mm-hmm. Valentine's Day. I said, think about what he's seen. And think about the fact that he grew up in the South. And think about that all these people fought, scratched, marched, got beat up. I mean, those, those young men in that, uh, in that uh, car that got killed. 
I mean, you and I were in Jackson at, at the bus station when people, you know, we look at uh, all of these things. Jackson State, we saw the bullet holes in the wall. I tell them, I said, you got to understand something. People died for the right to have civil rights, to stand there at the at the voting box and not be beat down or have it, the things changed by Jim Crow laws, all those things, right? And you don't want to get off your ass and go vote? And make no mistake, I say to these kids, you have to choose based on your core values, based on what you learned as a family, based on who you are, your spiritual, your emotional, your mental, your intelligence, you have to make that choice who you vote for. I cannot do that. Mm -hmm. But you will vote. And don't tell me that you're not going to be in town because there's an absentee ballot, all this other stuff. You will vote because now you have a voice. Let me rephrase that. You have a bigger voice, mm -hmm. and you have a responsibility to the person to the left of you and right of you to pick up a, a ballot and vote. Right. Don't tell me you don't know anything about these candidates because you own social media. You guys have information coming at you seven ways a Sunday. If you want to know something, go on social media. But you damn well better be careful because some of that stuff ain't real. Get your facts straight. Get in the car. Make sure you got enough gas. Drive over there and stand and queue up and stand in line with the rest of us. Because if you want change, vote. Right. That is so weird to me that you would not vote. That is just so <laughs> odd to me that you would not take yeah. the time to vote. I mean, yeah. like you say, if you got to mail it in, mail it in. I mean, <laughs> but you got to vote. You got to at least do yeah. that part of it. Let me let me ask you your opinion on this. I mean, we're talking about a whole lot of issues here, and I'm just kind of throwing things out because, I mean, knowing what you've studied, knowing your research, knowing what you've gone through and what you've seen. What is your take on this whole sports thing with uh, taking a knee, where you see athletes taking a knee, and it's during the national anthem? It's not against it, but what is your whole take on that and people not understanding it? I'm going a, I'm to a throw a little curveball at you. Because, you know, I always love business, right? And our dad worked in a steel mill. When they wanted change, what did they do? They, they would strike, right? right? They wouldn't go to work. And they would carry signs, and they, they were union guys. They were they're throwing down, right? We got to get that extra ten cents. We got to get that extra forty-two cents an hour, right? Whatever it was, right. they would strike. They would shut a company down and dare somebody to break the, the picket line. Now let's go across. Let's go around halfway around the world to Japan. When the Japanese guys, white collar, didn't agree with management, they were wearing black armband. They still come to work. They'd still put in a hard day, but they wear a black armband. That was as disrespectful as a strike, right? Mm -hmm. So that right there, you have two different factions. One that's saying we're going to shut everything down. The other one saying is, hey, I don't agree with you, but in a respectful way, I'm, not going, to, I'm going to show you that I don't agree with you. Now, let's go to the, origina the originator, Colin Kaepernick, of taking a knee during the national anthem. Here's the weird thing. Remember, remember years ago when the, the first Superman movie came out with George uh, with Christopher, Christopher Reeve. Reeve. Yeah, yeah. And look, I'm you and I. Are, I'm more of a movie guy than you are now, but right. you and I are movie guys. And Christopher Reeves takes off, and he's flying in the air. He's mad because his girlfriend got buried under the dirt, mm -hmm. and his Martin Marlon Brando's floating in the, the clouds. And son, with great uh, strength comes great responsibility, right? Yeah. Well, that's true. Colin Kaepernick saw something that wasn't right. 
But Colin, people think Colin Kaepernick is the first one. No, you got to go back to Jim Brown, Bill Russell, Muhammad Ali, the uh, Carlos and those guys, the two guys that held the the black gloves up in the Olympics in '68 right. Mexico, right? Right. There's so many names, right? Right. You got to go back to those guys. Nobody was. No, let's stop right there. Let's go back to World War II. There are black guys fighting in World War II. They couldn't even vote, but they went over and fought, right? Mm -hmm. Because they knew that if Hitler got hit, got his way, it'd be even ten times worse. Because Hitler hated black people. He wouldn't even shake Jesse Owens' hands after he ran him off the track, right? So you got all these guys before them. Colin Kaepernick said, you know what? This is not right. We need to put a spotlight on this. So what did Colin Kaepernick do? He didn't get on social media. Uh, he didn't get on TV and start cussing people out. He didn't run across the field naked with Black Lives Matter on his painted on his shirt. He took a knee. He silently said, this is not right. I am taking a knee because this is not right. From that moment, the mushroom cloud hit. People, if they would have really looked at history, truly looked at real history, they would have saw that the protest of how black people are treated, in some cases, there was always a protest. Bill Russell played in Boston. Come on, in the 60s, uh, 50s and 60s. Are you kidding me? He played in Boston. Mm -hmm. So the protest was there. Colin Kaepernick put it on a big, huge, multi-billion dollar industry. He took a knee. And he knew that the entire weight of the NFL everybody was going to be dropped on his head. And what I know is this. I believe that one man, Colin Kaepernick, he carried more weight than any of these other athletes taking a knee. And I'm not saying these guys are taking a knee out of fashion or it's the thing to do or they don't want to be, they don't want to be left out or called an Uncle Tom. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I'm not saying they're, that they're doing it, but some of them are just taking a knee because every, the guy next to him is. Some of these guys are truly taking a knee, be, and ladies are taking a knee because it means something, right? right. They believe in what Colin Kaepernick was, was doing. Now, let's go back a few years when the uh, Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl. People may not know this. The entire season, nobody on that Eagles team took a knee. Not because they didn't believe in what Ka uh, believe in what Colin Kaepernick was doing. They just chose not, they just didn't take a knee. And guess what? They didn't go to the White House because the President of the United States said, "I'm not having those guys here because they disrespected the flag." Now one of those guys took a knee. Now you see how things get twisted. Hmm. I 100% believe that that man, Colin Kaepernick, had a stage, and he stood on that stage and said, "I have got to do something." And the, I will applaud him for doing that because he felt he had an obligation to do it. But I don't like what happened afterwards where it feels like everybody just took it and twisted it. And nobody wanted to have a conversation about it. And our, the leader of the free world said they were disrespecting the flag of the United States of America. That I do not agree with. So if you're an athlete, if you're an entertainer, you're an actor, you're someone that's on a, a, a stage – Am I forcing you to say you have to say something because you have that pulpit? No, but you do have an but you do have a right to use that stage to bring change. If Colin Kaepernick took a knee because the educational system's broken, what do you think would have happened next? Will we be in the same mess? Will we still be have protests? I don't know. Would anybody even cared? I don't know. But it's his But he felt it was his responsibility to do that. 
So let me make sure I understand you. You're saying if he would have taken a knee for anything other than police brutality on minorities, it would have probably been overlooked or people would have just said, okay, well, well done and kept going. I don't know, Cleveland. I can't say. I'm just, I threw that out there okay. to get a reaction from you, really. I don't know, but. Okay. All right. I'm just, I'm just I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm sure somebody listening is going to ask that same question in their mind. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, and I, and I want okay. and I want them to because that's something that, that, that I want them to think about that. What it made it a di- what it made a difference, but he but he saw that. So you look at pr- uh, police brut- brutality and Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. That's like the Japanese guys wearing uh, businessmen wearing a, a black sleeve. He did it quietly. He didn't ask anybody else to join him. He didn't say anything about it. He said, "This is why I'm doing it." He took a knee, mm-hmm. and they vilified the man. Come on. You got guys knocking their wives out in elevators. You got dudes <laughs> trashing uh, hotel rooms. And we got the entire weight of the NFL and the United States of America, our president, coming down on that man's head. Dudes, I mean, guys knocking people out and, you know, uh, driving their cars fast, getting fail, failing drug tests. I'm not saying one's right or one's wrong. Mm-hmm. If you hit your wife, that that's crazy. But this cat said, hey, I see something that's not right in society. And we crushed him. Okay. Ali did Ali did the same thing. Right. But I'll get to that in a minute if you want me to. No, go ahead. Go ahead. You are on the road. Well well here here's here's the thing. I argued with my father in law about this. Even our dad, when Al, when Muhammad Ali was speaking out, our dad was like, He needs to be quiet. Well, yeah. you know what, Pop? Because black men at that time weren't supposed to say something. People got lynched. Right. People got strung up for talking. But Ali stood there and said, No, this is not right. And then he said, Well, you need to go to Vietnam. Why? Now, all these other black guys went to Korea. They went to World War II. We have black guys in Vietnam. But Muhammad Ali said, no. Why am I going to do this when, when I can't even go in that restaurant and have a meal? But I, you want me to go fight in a country halfway around the world for something I don't even believe in, but I can't go down the street and go in this restaurant. The man threw his gold medal in the, in, in the, uh, in the river in Louisville. So... But then what do we do? We drop the entire weight of the United States on his head and say, guess what? If you don't want to go, then we're taking away your livelihood. Well, that doesn't make any sense. You go to war, you come back, you still can't vote. You go to war, you come back, you don't have any civil rights. doesn't make any sense. I don't understand. Okay, so I want you to fast forward to today. The mm-hmm. feelings of people today. Yeah. Do you think that actually adds to what is going on now, the feeling of what is going on now with police brutality, injustice that they, uh, people, the way they see it? Two things. I think a lot of times we carry a lot of things with us as black people. We carry things with us, right? Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't that long ago. So I look at police brutality like this because there's so fewer black people in the United States than there is white people. And because Cleveland, we, you and I both know, we were not treated the same way by the police for years. They could, in the 40s, they could drag you out your house, beat you on the head, throw you in jail. They'll drive you out to the country, hand you over to the Klan. We all know these things happened. That's, don't try to, and I don't want anybody out there listening to think that they didn't. They did happen, okay? So we're carrying that with us. Our view is this. If a white kid gets arrested, he's got he he's thinking to himself, well, I can pretty much I'm gonna get through this. A black person gets arrested, it's like, oh, I'm gonna get ground up in this machine because this machine ain't very good for minorities, especially black men. So there's a 
there's two different thought processes. Today, the police, we, we have a higher expectation of today because, wait a minute, why are, why are these men and, and ladies dying at the hands of police? Why? It's not like, it's not like it was, this is not 1926. Why are we still dying at the hands of police? That's what I don't understand. And I'm not saying that the police officers wake up in the morning time, get their coffee, go to work, and then at roll call, they're like, okay, you guys need to kill three black guys a day and two black ladies. Y'all good? Here's some, here's some targets for you. Go ahead and head out there and pull over whoever you want to. I just need some dead bodies. I'm not saying the police department's doing that, but why is it still happening? And then I have to look at it in a, in a broader picture, Cleveland. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many Latino men, Asian, white. I really don't know how many other people are dying at the hands of the police. I just see what I see for black men and women dying at the hands of police. Well, it happens. It happens in all yeah. other races, too. But you're saying you see it. You see it because it's being shown to you, right? Yes. That, okay. That, all right, so it does yeah. happen. The numbers are different, yes, yeah, but it is happening. Mm-hmm. Now, I just recently saw one where sixty-year-old man, I think it was in Georgia, state police was trying to pull him over for I think it was a tail light out, and he mm-hmm. took off. Mm-hmm. There was a little pursuit. The car ended up getting pushed into a, the creek or something, or into you know off the road, and then there's I guess some shots fired, and the, the gentleman's dead. You wonder, you got to ask yourself, why did you run? What was making you take off from the police? Now, with that question right there, do you think it goes back to the way people were treated, blacks were treated, minorities were treated, that if you get pulled over, you're about to be pulled over, you're in fear of your life, so you take off? Do you think that has anything to do with it? Because I've talked yes. to different people. Okay, you already said yes, so I'll be quiet. No, it it. Oh, I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, no, keep going. You said of, yes. Of, of course it does, Cleveland. I mean, look, I I spent my time in Wichita, Kansas for school and then working. Because that was not my city that I grew up in, and because I didn't have a cousin and an ex-sister-in-law and a brother and all of his friends as cops in Wichita, Kansas, I was on my own, right? Mm-hmm. So when I'm in Wichita, Kansas, that's a totally different game. I don't know these guys. And when they were pulling me over, I had no idea what was going to happen. And I prayed to Almighty God that somebody else was around, right? I mean, pull me, don't pull me over at night because I don't know if I'm, I'm coming out of this thing. Yes, there's a nervousness to it, Cleveland, because I, you and I are not that far removed from the 60s. And we're sure as hell not uh, that far removed from when guys were still just getting scooped up and beat down. I know you're not a, probably but not a big NWA fan, the rap group. But they, them, Ice-T, Ice Cube, they started telling these stories in L.A. about the police. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, a lot of this was, stri- was, 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 was uh, true because the uh, chief of police, they were, run- they were running a Gestapo tactics, kicking in doors, tearing up houses, dragging people out their house. I mean, they had this whole stormtrooper thing going on. That was acceptable at that time because they weren't kicking in doors in Beverly Hills. They were kicking in doors in South Central, right, and Inglewood. My fear was what happens when I get pulled over? And ain't nobody there. That that scared the hell out of me. I mean, when those guys were pulling me over in, in Wichita, it, it was no reason for them to do it. I didn't know what was going to come next. I didn't need it, right? Mm-hmm. I couldn't prove out anything. So here's a story for you. Somebody, I lived in an apartment complex downtown Wichita. Nice apartment complex. Somebody broke into 
somebody broke into one of the apartments there. And I came home at lunchtime or whatever, and I'm coming back, and I was probably detained for 30 minutes, proven out that I lived in that apartment complex. I'm like, I, I live right there. Well, got some ID. Yeah, here's my ID. I mean, then it, there's nothing they were doing with it, right? right? There's nothing they were, I mean, they were just like holding me there, hoping that I would slip up and say, oh, hey, I broke in and stole some stuff. <laughs> no, I didn't. So, Cleveland, let's make that, let's micro, uh, let's put this in a micro spot. You and I were standing in a restaurant. It was, it was a bunch of us. It was one night, and I remember this. And I went, and this is back in the day when he had checks. Guy, um, guys, I said, can I pay this by check? He said, yeah, if you got a credit card, assuming that I did not have a credit card, mm-hmm. right? So I gave the guy a check on my credit card. And he, what are you going to do with the credit card now? He was just sitting there looking at it and handing it back to me. Like, you didn't even need it. You were, trying to, you were trying to put me in a position where you didn't want to take my check. That right there is just all these little things, these, these really subtle things that happened. So now I'm carrying all that around in my head, right? Mm-hmm. And my worry becomes when I get pulled over, does this police officer that's pulling me over have all of those thoughts of all these situations in his head, am I going to become a victim or am I going to jail for something I didn't do? So, I mean. Let's say you get pulled over on your way home from work today. Do you have those same feelings inside of you even today? I go through the same process, Cleveland. If the radio's on, I turn it off. I roll the window down and I put my hands on the steering wheel. I'm 53 years old. This is the process. When the officer comes up there, and he asked me, I need your driver's license and, and registration. That's what you guys say. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Well, we, we say, I, we don't know first before that. Now, come on now. We got to say, oh, hey, okay. how are you doing? Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. okay? The now, reason I, I'm officer I, so-and-so, the reason I'm pulling you over is this. And then hey, I ask for those Cleveland, items. I black that part out. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. If that's what happens. So I put my hands on the steering wheel, and I grip the steering wheel white knuckle. <laughs> I am not moving my hands. And I told my kids this, too. When that officer says, I need your driver's license and registration, this is what I say back to him. Sir, I need to reach into my back pocket and get my wallet, and I need to reach across the console into the glove box to get my registration. And then I wait for instruction. And when I get, when he tells me, go ahead, then I move. That is exactly how I do it. Now, I'm thinking to myself, because I am an older man now, I don't want that guy's blood pressure going up. I don't want his heart rate going up. He's not going to operate at max heart rate. You know, there's that, that, that sweet spot at max heart rate mm-hmm. where everything's clear, right? right? I don't want him going above that because at that point, he's shooting up the side of my car, stabbing my tires, and I, I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> okay. I want him to stay below that line or at work at, operate at max heart rate because his heart rate's already moving. He doesn't know what he's walking into. Right, right. So... <laughs> I am not giving him any excuse to pull out one of his six weapons and his throwdown gun. I'm kidding. He doesn't have a throwdown gun. <laughs> so you're asking me that question. I do. When I get pulled over, that's exactly what I do because I'm teach- I taught my kids. I said, I don't care if you're right or wrong. I don't care if your car doesn't go above 50 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And he's saying you're going 73. Hands on the wheel. Ask for permission. Do not move until given. Right, right. If you do anything other than that, you're starting heart rates to go up, and that's when bad things happen. And look, I don't know if I'm right or wrong. I don't know if I'm doing that because I'm scared, which I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't want that guy going sideways either. Yeah. 
Well, there's nothing wrong with saying you're, you're afraid. There's nothing wrong with that. That's quite all right. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give you a final question here because um, okay. I know you got to get to work and everything, and I do appreciate you doing this. And like no I said, we'll do more of this because it, it's good to talk. It's good to talk about yeah. it. And like I don't hear all the, the things that you think or the things that you feel. And it's funny we have to do this on a podcast to find out that we just don't pick up the phone and call each other. But, hey, we may as well kill two birds with one stone here. Mm-hmm. Um, final question. I mean, I know you're, you're a church. You're a God-fearing man. You go to church. Your family goes to church. Are you hearing anything from your church leaders, your, your pastor, your priest, or whoever it may be? Are you hearing anything that makes you feel good about the future, that makes you feel good about what the Bible is saying, what it has said about times like this? Are you hearing anything? It's a great question. I don't know. I don't know if I am or not. Here, this is what I will say is this. When we, you know, you do your, the multiple different prayers, you know, we pray for multiple different things, you Mm -hmm. know, diversity, people, all all these different things. But Cleveland this is a challenging time, not just with Black Lives Matter, COVID, economy, hey, what you think of the president or not, it's a tough time, all these things are going on, right? Mm-hmm. So I try to explain to my children it, it is this. We go to church, but my older ones, they're adults. They have to make a decision, right? I can't, what am I going to do, twist their arm and, and drag them down the stairs, you know, if they're at home at that time to go to church? No, they have to make a decision. What I say to them is this. I say, look, you, I'm, we're Catholic. I have no problem saying that. We grew, you and I grew up Lutheran. And you're still Lutheran. But I say to them this. I said, guys, the Catholic Church carries weight. And you have to understand the history of the Catholic Church. It was a, it's a political machine. It was at one time. I mean, people went to the Pope when they had problems. This is back in the old days. But now, the Catholic Church carries a lot of weight. The priest, we should hold to a higher level. And But if we're going to hold him to a higher level, we better damn well be hold ourselves to a higher level, how we act and our values and everything else. But I say this to them, and I, and I believe this 100%. Guys, you have this is me talking to my kids, okay? Guys, you have a problem with the Catholic Church. Yes, we do, Dad. Blah, 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 this and that. I'm like, oh, that's cool. But when was the last time we worshipped the Catholic Church? When was the last time that we had faith in the Catholic Church? I have faith in God. I have faith in Jesus. I don't have faith in men, who run the Catholic Church. They're not perfect. They're doing the best they can. They can, but I don't worship the Catholic Church. I worship God. Mm-hmm. The Church opens its doors and allows me to come in and sit with other people. And you've been to, you've been to my church. You've seen how oh, yeah. diverse that church is. Yeah. And sit with other people and worship with them and maybe possibly impact one life by smiling at somebody, asking them if they have a big day scheduled that day for Sunday or whatever it is. That's what the church allows me to do. But if you're asking me if I'm hearing things from my priest, I don't know if I am or not. And that that's twofold. People go to church and think that they go to church to get something. You do, but you got to give too. You have to open up your heart and be part of what's being said if you believe. So I'm going to leave you with this. You and I are movie guys. Fright Night, the original one back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. The vampire shows up, and this kid's holding a cross. And the vampire reaches out and puts his hand on the cross because a cross repels a vampire, right? Right. But the vampire puts his hand on the cross and starts melting the cross. And he says to the kid, you got to have faith. That right there alone is what 
we need to have. If you are God-fearing, if you believe in God, you have to have faith. And that faith will move you each day, will help you get out of the bed, will help you impact one life, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're not put on this earth for us to let me get all my money and all my toys and all my stuff and you stay out of my face. We're here to impact the person to the left of us and the right of us. That's what we're here for. But we got to have faith. And faith is extremely hard to have when you don't have proof. Because I can ask you this question, Cleveland. Do you love your wife? Yes. Prove it. Well, I can. I I did the dishes earlier. I did the laundry because I knew I didn't want her to have to do it. You're asking the wrong guy. (laughs) No, there's faith that you have. I have to have faith in the fact that you do love your wife. I can't prove that I love God, right? Right. But but the only way I do that is through my actions of impacting the person on the left and the right of me. You understood my question. I know. I'm just giving you a hard time. Yeah, doing the dishes. (laughs) You guys got like three dishes. No one lives there anymore. (laughs) That's a good thing. Yeah. And when I see them yeah. coming, I break theirs. <laughs> okay. or, or you get paper plates. That's right, because they ain't staying that long. <laughs> they stay yeah. long enough. And, and oh, knowing you, God. you get the cheap paper plates where the meatballs roll off the edge. <laughs> Hold it on your lap. <laughs> That's right. Make a plate with that with some foil over and take it home. Here we go. No, Jeff, I appreciate you spending, like I said, spending some time talking again this morning, uh, clearing up a few areas that and questions that people ask me. And they always ask me, but I like, you know, getting an answer from you, hearing your side of it. Then I'll throw my two cents in. But, I mean, that was really good today. I appreciate that and uh, taking the time. And there's a whole lot more we can talk about and we are going to talk about. And uh, I enjoy this segment that we're doing. I've talked to a lot of people. But uh, you're the first in the family. Well, I take that back. I've actually talked to Austin and Ashley, but you're you're my brother, and I want to hear what what you feel. And, uh, again, I have not said a lot about me yet, but uh, every once in a while it will come out. (laughs) I'll let it out. I know. I'll let it out. I know. All right, tell your your family we said hey, and uh, uh, tell Jocelyn uh, happy birthday, right? Same same here, and uh, we're going to do the skin, right? Yeah. Yes, we definitely will. This is too much fun. Okay. All right, hey, All folks. Right. Folks, we appreciate you guys tuning in and uh, listening to the Police Pod Talk. And, again, uh, a lot of the conversation is still about police work, but it's also about how we can heal and come together a little bit better than we are doing, and hopefully here soon. I mean, uh, we're all struggling, and uh, we've got to figure out ourselves first. And, uh, Jeff, you put a, a lot there for us to think about today, and we really do appreciate it. Thank you very much. And, folks, thanks for listening to Police Pod Talk. Thanks, Cleveland. Thanks again for hanging out with us. Remember, you can always go to policepodtalk at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook at Cleveland Junior or Police Pod Talk. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.